I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May once again with the aptly named Tim May Podcast. I'm still pushing for but I digress. It's not going to happen, I guess. Uh, bottom line is I just uh, added another dollar just now to the uh cup. Uh, I lied last week to you. I didn't lie. I actually have the uh cup, but I haven't brought it in. It will be shining right behind me next week. Of course, I promised that last week. Every time I say, uh, I add a dollar to it. And, of course, the proceeds at the end of the year will be going to the Christina and Ryan Day Fund to help uh, mental, uh, to help adolescent and child uh, uh, mental problems. Now, I may even have trouble saying it. But anyway, uh, bottom line is this was an off week for Ohio State. You got to watch a little bit of football. I went to Notre Dame, watched uh, the Virginia Tech-Notre Dame game. It went down to the wire. You'd be stunned by how many thousands of people left middle of the fourth quarter because it was a cold day, a rotten day. But, but Notre Dame figured out a way to win the game. Bottom line there is don't leave a game in the fourth quarter that's in, that's in doubt. I think everybody should know that by now. But it was a great day, a great afternoon at Notre Dame, I think one of the more hallowed grounds of college football. But, you know, what's more hallowed than Ohio Stadium and people who have played in that stadium and given their blood, sweat, and tears uh, to win games for the Ohio State Buckeyes? And with that said, I would like to bring on a guy who I think has been an unheralded uh, figure in Ohio State football down through the years. I'm not saying he's forgotten because you'll know his name as soon as I say it, but I'm not sure he's gotten the acclaim he deserves for being the quarterback on a what I call a real transition period for Ohio State football when they went to the modern uh, passing game. And that guy's by the name of Greg Fry. Greg, welcome to the Tim May Podcast. Thank you, Tim. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be on. Yeah. Well, I, that was a long introduction. I'm sorry about that, man. But <laughs> you know you know the esteem I've always held you in because you went through the whole litany of the Earl Bruce to John Cooper transition. You know, you had a a monumental play in the in the in the great win in 1987 up at Michigan Stadium when you guys won one for Earl, if you remember correctly. You had a headband too. Do you still have that headband, by the way? I still have my headband. Wow. Anyway, then you took over as a starting quarterback under Jim Coletto, the new offensive coordinator under under John Cooper, and that's when I say the Ohio State offense made the move into the modern day passing game. But you know what? Before we get into all that and and trip uh, trip down memory lane by way of Woody Hayes Drive, I wanted to ask you, you know, I know you watch, I know you keep up with things. Just what's your overall impression of this 2019 Ohio State team so far? Well, you know, I think like many, I'm, I'm struggling to find adjectives uh, to, mm-hmm. to talk about how great this team is. But I, I guess for me, here's my two cents. I went to watch practice. They had an alumni day back in August for former players, which had never happened um, during a, a season. And it was the last practice of camp, and we had like over 100 guys show up. It was really awesome. Wow. And I wanted to see the team firsthand. As, as you know, I like to, I like to analyze. 
And <laughs> I was quite impressed. Chase Young stood out to me. I just watched him do drills. And I just stood there in awe because I've seen a lot of great athletes and defensive linemen. And just watching him do the drills, it was <laughs> the guy's amazing. And clearly, yeah. it's showing up on the field. But I also wanted to see Justin Fields. And uh, I was quite impressed with his, his technique. I was quite impressed with his poise, you know, even though it was just a practice. Um, but I, I also had a chance to talk with Kevin Wilson. And I got a real good sense that the coaching staff had a good feel for you know, the first five games and how they were going to coach him and, and how they were going to bring him along development-wise and to put him in position to succeed. And clearly they have done that. Um, and I think in retrospect – the changes that Ryan Day made back in January to the coaching staff, clearly he made the right decisions. Um, so I guess to boil that all down together, the biggest thing that stands out to me is the defense. You can talk all you want about the offense. And, and special teams are incredible. They're, they're doing great. So, But when I look for championship caliber teams, Tim, mm -hmm. I start with defense. And for all the years I've covered college football and high school football, you know, teams that win championships have to have great defense and they got to run the football. But this team, if you look at the defense compared to a year ago, it's 180 degrees. It's yeah. almost unthinkable yeah. how much better they are on defense. So I think, you know, I'm sure there's more questions, but to me, the defense is so much better and that's why they're having success. And I believe that's why I believe right now they're the best team in the country. But as we all know, being the best team in early in November doesn't mean squat. Right. So we got a lot of football to play, but right now, clearly a very impressive football team. Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, I've said that countless times, on even on my podcast and on radio interviews I do around the country during the week and uh, a couple things I've written that this defensive unit may be the biggest turnaround just unit in the country this year compared to where it was a year ago. And you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, you agree, right? I mean, it, it should be in the running for that anyway. Totally. What, what? It, it, we're, we're not too far removed from Maryland a year ago. I mean, and I remember that day vividly watching that game on TV. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. And uh, it, it, what, what do you think, What you know, from your vantage point, because you used to break down defense, you still do. I mean, you still do analysis games for high school games and things like that. But what is the biggest thing they've gotten adjusted on that defense from your vantage point? I mean, there were games last year, for example – when I thought they were unsound on plays, meaning, what are you doing? You know, it's like they got too smart for their own good. Uh, what if Greg Madison and Jeff Halfley, Al Washington Jr., Larry Johnson, and Matt Barnes? What if the, what if they changed that stood out in from from your vantage point? Well, from the you know, I broke it down a little bit, but I can't say a lot. But I'll, I'll say this: that um, they're all on the same page. Mm -hmm which is important. There's, there's a collective chemistry there, which uh, I clearly wasn't there last year. Um, and yeah, there were, there were times last year. And again, I go back to that Maryland game because the first couple series of that game, you know, you had corners breaking down, um, breaking contain, and we got burned for two long touchdown runs, just, you know, which, deep in the season, which should never happen. Right. So I, I most recently watching the Buckeye defense against Wisconsin, I was in the stadium. I watched the game. I sat there in the rain, which I've never done. <laughs> I played in the rain, but I, you know, I sat through the whole game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I noticed right away they lined up in a four-four look with man man up on the corner with a free safety, which, to my knowledge, we haven't seen yet this year. Right. And that was a ballsy move, in a sense that it was it showed complete confidence. Like, look, Wisconsin, 
you're not running the ball. We're going to put an extra guy in the box. If you want to throw it outside, we got two lockdown corners. Good luck. Yeah. And that was uh, that showed tremendous confidence in that defense. And then you know, they also made an adjustment with Chase Young, moving him around, getting him, his hand off the ground, which was just brilliant. Which just you know totally messed up the Wisconsin line. So, but that's you know being able to make an adjustment like that midseason is just a lot of trust in your players and vice versa. Um, but I, I, I can't really pinpoint one thing other than I would say they're on the same page. Yeah. yeah. And you, your corner plays a little bit better. You, your safety plays a lot better. Uh, linebacker play has, has greatly, um, you know, increased over a year ago. Mm-hmm. And they're playing as a team on defense. And, you know, it's, it's, that's a lie. They're, they're, they're dominating. Yeah. As, as I keep pointing out to people, to people Devon Hamilton – you know, in the middle of it all, is is having a hell of a year. So is Jay Sean Cornell. You know, the two defensive tackles, uh, starting defensive tackles, and that just kind of sets the uh, tone for everybody else. How much pride did you take in watching Justin Hilliard from St. Xavier High School in Cincinnati, uh, number forty-seven, get it get a start there? I mean, do, do you still feel that high school pride even today? I do, absolutely. And he's a guy that's been, uh, you know, he just can't crack. He's not been able to crack that starting lineup. And I think with that. The shift in how they play defense, he you know became his opportunity. So I was very happy for him. Yeah, um, he's had great plays on special teams. He had some great plays on special teams versus Wisconsin. So absolutely, it's uh, that, that's fun to see. What, so, stand, what stands out to you uh, most about it is you watch Justin Fields, Greg. I mean, this is no offense, Greg, <laughs> but I think he's the most talented overall talent from a running passing standpoint combination guy I've covered since I started covering Ohio State football back in 1984. And I think he's up, you know, better than Art Schleister was in that regard from the potential, et cetera, from what I remember from watching Art Schleister play even when he was in high school. But what is you, as a former starting quarterback at Ohio State, three-year starter who set some records while you were there, what is just your take on Justin Fields and the way he's improved, like you said, from week to week? They had a pretty good plan for that going into the season. But what have you seen from him that just stands out? Well, I do take a little bit of an offense to that, Tim, because I think I was fast. I think I was faster. I mean, you can go back and look at my forty times. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Yeah. yeah. Hey, did they even have stopwatches back when you played? Maybe, I can't remember. Maybe, maybe my shuttle, maybe my shuttle time might have been copied what it is. Yeah. 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 Running for the bus. I had a good shuttle time. Your right? your time running right. for the bus. Yeah. And I was very talented in running from defenses because I got a lot of practice at that. Yes, so, you did. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I digress. You're, um, you're exactly right, though. Go ahead. Uh, I agree with you. And I said this, you know, after I got to see him in person back in August, people were asking me, you know, what do you think? And I felt like, yeah. uh, you know, if you, if you go back and last all the way back to Troy Smith and you look at all the quarterbacks we've had, we've had a lot of great athletic quarterbacks, but a combination of, of speed, athleticism, but also the poise in the pocket and sound fundamentally. Yes, and the fact that, and this is what stood out to me when I saw him in, in August was he's six three two thirty seven, yeah, and he runs a four four, <laughs> and he can sit, but he also knows how to sit in the pocket. He's got great vision. He's very accurate. That's a lethal combination. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, I thought, okay, this guy's gonna, he's and, and you, you couple in the fact he's got great coaching around him. He doesn't have one great coach. He's got two, mm-hmm. and he's got a wealth of talent. So that that is a recipe for success. You know, would I have guessed he'd have the stats he has now? Probably not. But I thought I, I would have thought that he would have done quite well because he has the ability at any moment to run 
and go. Now, the coaches have done a phenomenal job with him, bringing him along, but also knowing the risk that you can't get this guy hurt. So he's not running as much as, you know, you saw a, a couple of years ago with JT Barrett running 15, 20 times a game. Yeah, you know, that's not there because there's a risk, you know, that, that, that right. feels get hurt. So bottom line is uh, he's having a phenomenal year. And, and you know, I, I keep the, – the one thing we haven't seen is – you know, when this team gets tested in the fourth quarter and they're down by six, they're down a couple scores, which, you know, invariably that's going to happen, whether it's this year or next year, you know, how is he going to respond in that, in that case? And that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because I'm on a – I do the pregame show on 97.1 The Fan now for two hours every every uh, every game day morning. And Anthony Rothman, the host on there, is always talking about, well, how is this team going to respond when it's, you know, tested in the fourth quarter? And I, and I always remind him, you know what, Ryan Day does not go to bed on Friday night going, man, I sure hope we get tested in the fourth quarter tomorrow. Sure, <laughs> I sure hope we have to come from behind. I said, that's what you call a retrospective wish, you know, that, uh, right. that if it does happen, how did you do? You know, it's like, you know you know how that goes, man. But, uh, hey, real right. quick, you know, it's real funny, I want to get in a little bit about you too, but uh, the interesting thing about Justin Fields is I think he's a really good passer who's only going to get better. But it is amazing right. how his presence has enhanced the running game. I mean, J.K. Dobbins now looks like J.K. Dobbins from the middle of his freshman year, you know. And uh, the offensive line is taking care of business. You know, four new starters on the offensive line. But having that running threat at quarterback is just amazing how it opens up things for the other fellows, right? Totally. And you know what? And I got reminded of that. Because sometimes you fall asleep and you forget about how, how much pressure that puts on a defense and there was a, a quick reminder against Wisconsin because Wisconsin went to a little bit of a wildcat attack yeah. at one point, if you remember that. And they they got a high stakes defense for about 15 yards on a play. And it's because you got two athletes back there, and it's like, okay, you got a key on both guys. Because prior to that, their quarterback wasn't going to run, and right. our defense knew that. But that's the threat that every defense that plays Ohio State deals with every play. When you know, in the, when you freeze that backside linebacker. Or whoever that may be, that that opens up lanes, and the guy that benefits is certainly J.K. Dobbins, and he is running yeah. <laughs> with an intensity that I've not seen recently. It's fun to watch. And you haven't even really seen them get into a deep RPO game yet. I mean, where that linebacker that froze that fro- froze just got beat. You know what I mean by on a passing play. <laughs> you know what I mean? They haven't really they haven't really gotten into that too much, and which you know they've have they have in their arsenal and. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch. Real quick, Greg, uh, uh, talk to me. Talk about getting tested in the fourth quarter. You know, the the thing that stands out to me about your career, uh, along with like I said, y'all kind of went to the modern passing game there under Jim Coletto. That was quite a. Was that much of a? How much of a transition was that for you from '87 to '88, learning sort of a new offense, et cetera? Well, what, what, what do you remember most about those times? Number one, it was a tumultuous time for you, I'm sure, right? But uh, what do you remember? What just stands out about that that little transition thing you went through there? Well, I was excited about the transition. I mean, I, you know, I love Coach Bruce. Um, you know, his offense was pretty simple, relatively speaking, and I was getting more and more uh, comfortable with that. Yeah. Uh, but I had come from a passing offense that was – we were way ahead of our time at St. Xavier with what we were doing right. uh, in high school. Um, so I, I wanted that, and I was looking forward to that. So, when I, you know, when Jim Coletta was telling me about his offense, I was really excited. Um, you know, that, that we were going to do some great things. And, you know, we did, but I think that the challenge was 
for me, well, there were many challenges, but one was, you know, defense has given up so many points. We really couldn't get real aggressive. At least the coaches chose not to get aggressive early in the game. So our game plan was like, well, we got to score 30, but we can't throw it until, you know, yeah. the game's tight. We yeah. got, and we got to slow it down. And, and it, I, that's the part that I always struggle with, um, you know, because they coach more out of fear than just kind of letting us go. But, you know, when you're dealing with a transition like that, you get everybody else has got to catch up. So, you know, it, it was tough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie. It was really, really challenging. But um, for me, I wanted that because, because, as I said, I came from a high school offense that, you know, we did things that nobody else was doing, and I thrived in that, and that's what I wanted. And and uh, that was my comfort zone. Yes, well, what I liked about the Coletto passing offense was finally you had an offense in there that, what I said, challenged all three levels of the of the field, you know, the inter, the lower, intermediate, and high zones, you know what I mean? And then also had to swing passes out of the backfield, things like that. Not that they didn't – y'all didn't have those under Earl from the standpoint of, uh, you know, Keith Byers way back when and, and all that stuff. But it just, it just took it to another level, so to speak. You know, you're well-known – in my opinion, anyway, for two of the great comeback wins in Ohio State history, the LSU game, you remember that with against uh, the Mike Archer-led uh, LSU Bio Bengals in uh, in Ohio Stadium, and then of course that ridiculous. What were y'all down? Thirty-one to zero at Minnesota, and thirty-one to zero. What what is it like? Like you're talking about getting tested in the fourth quarter a while ago. You don't know what a team's gonna be, and you know the quarterback's gonna respond until you're like, what was it like being? in the midst of those two games, especially where every play, you saw Dwayne Haskins Jr. deal with that last year at Maryland, where every possession was a must-score possession, if you follow my drift. But what was – obviously the LSU game was wild because the comeback all happened in like three minutes, you know. (laughs) Right, right. But but what was it like in that game? And then take me to that Minnesota game in the the Metrodome, the – the godforsaken Metrodome playing on that uh, concrete-covered, uh, astroturf-covered uh, concrete. But go right. ahead, the LSU game first. What was that well, like? Well, I, I think LSU was – I mean, I guess for me, I was – you know, I haven't met so many people that are as, as intensely competitive as I am. And I think um, you know, you've heard conversations about is it more of a fear of losing or a desire to win? And I think for me, a lot of it was a fear of losing. Like, I despise losing. I didn't want that feeling. And yeah. I would do anything – so I always had um, a confidence that no matter what, just took one player, one score to get back in the game. And I just, I had always had that vision in my mind. You know, hey, if we're down two scores, let's get one. Let's put pressure on the opposing team. Just get us the ball back with a chance in the end. We got a shot. Yeah. So we did that against LSU with all the people final on stadium. We, we scored pretty quick. Uh, defense got to stop. You know, we get the ball back after Bobby Oliver turns a punt, you know, 10, 20 yards. Hmm. You know, and, and we made it happen. And it's uh, to me, I like being in those situations because to me, the offense can really dictate at that point. Um, the defense is on their heels a little bit, and if you can anticipate, you know, kind of where you're on the field and what they're going to do, I just felt comfortable in those situations. That you know, we had a good feel for uh, what we we're going to see, and I trusted my guys around me. Um, yeah. And you know, and we're, you're really not running the ball much then. So that was. That, despite the circumstances, I was kind of comfortable in those situations and really thrived on that. So yeah, well, it's it's the great thing for a quarterback. It's on you now. You know what I mean? It's I mean you 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 go you're going to be throwing the ball, right? I mean that's the I think you live for those moments, right? Where it's like you do, and you got to want the ball. Some guys don't want the ball in that game. I yeah. want the ball, and plus, you know, the other thing is in a lot of cases I'm calling the plays, which I really like. Yes. I don't have to put up the bullshit on the sideline, and, you know, and, and <laughs> 
conservative hey, side. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, we can just wait, go. Wait a minute. This isn't the beam. This isn't the boom and beanie show, man. Uh, I'm just, I'm just joking with that. With, with, with what you, the way you described that what was going on on the sideline. <laughs> Beanie and Boom, oh. those, Beanie and Boom used those. Words. You go ahead though; it's okay, man. I won't, I won't penalize you. We, hey. we could, boy. Yeah, uh, it, it, I could tell you some stories that if, you, you would probably believe. Most people wouldn't believe, but yeah. the stuff, the, some of the stuff that happens on the sideline or on the headsets, <laughs> you know, that's another podcast that you should do. You, yeah, well, let, I'll, I'll go. drip one. I'll, I'll drip one on you at the, the Minnesota game. Okay, so. But to close out the LSU game, you know, that was throwing a touchdown pass to win a game was a dream of mine. And after I threw the touchdown pass to Bobby Olive, I came to the sideline, and I was so overcome with emotion that I was crying like a baby. Wow. Wow. And the guys around me are like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, and I just, I couldn't even express myself because it was, I was flooded with tears. Yeah. Yeah. And you can never imagine what that feels like, but it was so overwhelming. Wow. So... Yeah. That was that was an amazing game. Hey, real, let me ask you one quickie about that. Did you think y'all had found something in that game? That was 88. Did you think y'all, you guys had found something that could carry you then? Because obviously that season didn't turn out, you know, 4-6-1 and one like you had dreamed, I'm sure. Uh, did was, You know, how, how would you describe that going through that season? What was, just in a nutshell, what was that like from a, a competitor standpoint? It was such an up-and-down thing. You know, you had – um, coaches trying to get the players to buy in, but you, you had a, a, a major discrepancy because you got coaches, you know, frankly, they were like, we don't want you guys if you're Earl guys. They told us that. They said it to the media, yeah. you know, yeah. and they never apologized for that. So huh. even a year after they were there, that was still hanging over our heads. So that was, we were not connected. And if you look at that year, we were so inconsistent. We'd have great games. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, great halves against Michigan that, that year. We played the best half of football of the entire – we scored 31 points on, on Michigan after losing 21 to nothing and should have beat them. Yeah. You know, had yeah. it not been – you know, I point the finger at the defense and the special teams, but we drove 90-some yards to score with a couple minutes to go to take the lead on them and scored, I think, every possession but one in the second half or maybe yeah. every one. I think you're right. And lost <laughs> to the Big Ten championship team, you know. So yeah. we had our moments that year, but just very, very inconsistent. Jump to Minnesota real quick, thirty-one to nothing. Are you kidding me? You know, and uh, what's it like at halftime of that game? And then, what, I'm trying to remember. Did y'all score a touchdown just before the half? I'm trying to remember. I'm getting trying to. Well, you probably don't remember all the details, but just. Oh, what, I do actually. <laughs> in in the second half, what just came around? What 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 did you feel that's flipped in that game? Yeah. Well, last. That the anniversary of that was last week, and, and Big right. Ten Network posted that on their Facebook page. So I got my phone blew up, and my Facebook page blew up, and right. um, you know, and I actually watched it. I watched the Ohio State replay. I like that replay better because the announcers were better than the ABC guys. <laughs> you know, Lynn, yeah. Lynn Swan is not a good color commentator. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah. The Ohio um, State guys were engaged, so to speak. Go ahead. Nick. It was really cool for me though, because my son, like I told my son about this game, he's heard about it being around me with other people talking about that but this is the first time he actually wanted to sit down and watch that wow yeah and he kind of it, 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 the light bulb kind of went off like you were down 31 nothing like wow right <laughs> so to answer your question we scored right before the half which was huge and we went for two so it was 31 to eight and you know i will say that being down 23 points after you were down 31 doesn't feel so bad yeah that's interesting. um yeah, yeah but i i think the couple things I want to point out. One is 
and I wrote about this in my Facebook page last week because people kept asking me. And, I, and when it was 31 to nothing, I had to make a decision. And I forced myself to look at the scoreboard because that's when the, the fight, flight, or freeze sets in. And let me tell you, it was setting in because I had, had the crap kicked out of me in the first half. Mm-hmm. Coaches up my ass. You know, nothing's going right. Mm-hmm. It, about as adverse as you can get. And the the flight is the feeling of, hey, let's just let's just play it out. Let's play out the string. Let's get out of here. It's not our day. Those are real feelings that everybody feels, mm-hmm. you know. And I'd like to sit there and say, well, you know, it was easy for me to make that decision. We're going to keep fighting, but it wasn't. But I made myself accept the score and just keep fighting. And I, I was like, screw the scoreboard. Let's just play, mm-hmm. you know. Let's just get on the board. And that was it. But it was a big moment, and we actually had to punt when it was thirty-one to nothing. And Minnesota had twelve guys in the field. And I remember saying, "Ooh, oh yeah, ooh, you guys really just opened the door. Don't do that to us." <laughs> and I remember that thought. So halftime was from the offensive side, you know, and you know how it is. It's probably still the same. The players are by themselves for a while, mm-hmm. you know, getting treatment, water, whatever you need. Coaches are making their adjustments, but on the offensive side, it was a matter of. Us guys saying, look, guys, let's just stop getting in our own way. This is Minnesota. You know, we own these guys. They can't stop us. So if we just take care of our own business, we can get back in this game. And then the question is going to be, will we have enough time? But let's get back in the game. And there was there was composure. There was poise. There was, I don't recall any coaches doing a rah-rah. I mean, you know, John Cooper and I have mended our fences. But at the time, you know, I, the guys that were Earl guys, when he came in and gave his rah-rah, we were like, yeah, whatever. You know, just yeah. be quiet. Yeah. Um, and I say that with all due respect, I, I love John, but at the time it, it was different, but, um, you know, we just decided as players and I, you know, as a quarterback, you got, you're a leader in that situation. I, I was preaching to my guys, come on guys, let's just, we can do this, you know? Yeah. So we, uh, we got the ball to start the second half. We drove down the field, we kicked the field goal, you know, it doesn't seem like much, but you got, we got three and it was important. Um, and that is just, we just started wearing them down by the time we got to the fourth quarter, we were running it and throwing it at will. And that's if you want to look at the Jim Coletto offense, like that's when, yes, you know, and, and for me, the handcuffs were off. Because if you remember the couple weeks before that, they wouldn't let me throw the ball. Yes. And the media was all over me about, well, Fry, you know, Fry's, he can't throw it, blah, blah, you know how it is. It's, no no and, confidence in Fry, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. And I'm thinking, well, if you take the freaking handcuffs off, maybe I can show what I can do, <laughs> right? Yeah. So Release me. Release me. Yeah. Release the so crack. So we we threw for about 320 in the second half and probably ran for 200 in the second half. And we just sliced and diced them. It's crazy. Um, but, it's, uh, you know, fortunately, fortunately we had enough time. And, and I'll give credit to our defense because our defense kept giving up yards, but they got the stops. Mm-hmm. And I remember, because people ask me about this game all the time, they, they always tell me what they were doing, where they were at. And that's pretty cool to hear. Yeah. And for me, I didn't think about the outcome. With one exception, it was right when the defense got their last stop, and we were going to get the ball back with about two minutes to go. And I stopped in my tracks. I'm like, "Holy cow, we might do this!" Yeah. And I really had to stop myself because you you cannot get ahead of yourself in that situation. And and I I literally stopped, took a couple breaths. I'm like, "Okay, we we're not done here. We got we got to finish this." And I give Jim Coletto a lot of credit because he made a great adjustment on the last drive. He said, "Okay, because I think they're going to switch things up in this situation." They're going to go too deep with man under. If they do that, here's your check. And sure enough, they did. And we toasted them the first couple of plays. I think we started our 20. We picked up 40 yards in two plays. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, then uh, you know, then we went down and scored. Hey, your the play that the play that still sticks with me from that game, and I don't even remember the circumstance. I don't know why, because you know I'm getting old, uh, Greg. Uh, yeah, but you the, might be. I'm not. But the pass to Jim Palmer down the left sideline. Uh, <clears throat> yes. Where, where, what play do you remember? Obviously, the winning touchdown. You know, what, what play do you remember most? Um, I remember that series well because Jeff Davidson, our left guard, was playing with a separated shoulder. <laughs> yeah. He, if, and if you watch the replay, he can't lift his arm. So he's getting beat like a drum, like every play, because he's blocking with one arm. And, and God bless me, you know, he's yeah. doing his best. Yes. Um, I had just taken the sack, which is a, you know, a, you don't want to do that on a two minute drive. Um, so, but the good thing about when it happens is there's chaos and defenses can't get set up. So, you know, after I got sacked, I called the play, everybody got lined up and I, I, I again thrived in that because it might be chaos for the offense, but it's more for the defense. And even though we lost yards, I'm like, I don't care. I got three plays. Who cares? Mm -hmm. And I got flushed out of the pocket, going to my left and Jim Palmer was running a crossing out. And mind you, he was probably at the beginning of the season, our four string tight end. Yes. And that was the biggest day of his life, without a doubt. The guy he beat was a future NFL player. <laughs> and he didn't beat him by much, but he had him beat by about a yard. And for me, I got flushed to my left. And this is where I talk to all my young quarterbacks about you got to be able to throw it on the run You know, when you got guys chasing you. And it was one of my best throws of the game because there was a tight window. I put it in there. The guy um, covered in man-to-man coverage misses him. Right. And then Jim, Jim runs over the corner, like runs him over. And takes it all the way down to about the eleven yard line. Right. And here's what's cool, and, and I this is the honest to God's truth. I knew the next play before it came in the huddle, because that's when they're still, you know, Coletta would if the ball went out of bounds, he would call the play. I knew the next play because we were on a left hash. I knew what the cover was gonna be. I I visualized the outcome. I already, I already knew it. And when the play came in the huddle, I just laughed. <laughs> because it was it was two on two to the right hand side. We had, we had max protection because we thought they'd blitz. I wanted them to blitz because that was going to put Jeff Graham in a one-on-one situation with a safety who couldn't cover him to save his life. Right, right. And, and that's what we got. So, honest to God, it was, it was the easiest play of the game, which is really bizarre. Did y'all I – mean, If you watched the, yeah. the well, throw, was, the game was way open. Oh, absolutely. Uh, real quick, what was the play? Do you remember the call in the huddle uh, so, so people could get all fired up about red right 88, you know what I mean, from the Browns and – you, you remember the call? <laughs> I think it was uh, 504. Okay, yeah. So it's 500 pass protection, which is like turn back protection where you keep our backside tight end. In a four route, so it's basically like a smash combination. Inside guy runs a flag, outside yeah. guy runs a hitch. We had run it all day long, and it's really good versus man coverage. And I had hit Jeff earlier in the game. I had actually checked to it uh, in the third quarter when I saw man coverage, and we hit it. Wow. Um, and it, just, it was a poor matchup. I mean, it was just it – was, so, but it's honestly, I was so in the flow, you know, it's kind of being in the zone. I was there. Like, I knew the play before it came in. It was the weirdest thing. And it's happened to me before. But, uh, yeah, and, and here's what's cool. You'll appreciate this. Two quick stories of, of that day. On that play, I was supposed to fake a handoff to Carlos Snow. I didn't fake it because I was like, screw it. I don't need it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and my quarterback coach at the time gave me a negative. He gave me a negative on that play because I didn't fake my handoff. That was Ron Hudson. No, it was Ron that Hudson. That was Ron Hudson. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in the second quarter, I don't know if you remember this, Tim, but we were trailing 10 to nothing. We had a third down play on the 10-yard line going in. We finally had a chance to score. 
third long, like from the 10, and Coletto calls a, a toss sweep. Huh. And, I'm, you know, there's beauty in the huddle, and I'm like, screw this. I got Jeff Graham one-on-one. I change it to a fade to Jeff Graham. Uh-huh. Everybody hears me but Jeff Davidson. He pulls. Oh, no. Yeah. Linebacker blitzes, hits me between the numbers in the back, ball goes up in the air, free safety grabs it, goes 90 yards for a touchdown. Wow. So, and I'm on the ground, and the trainers come out, you know, Billy Hill, Bill Davis come out, you know, the stick of smelling salt in my nose. And, and we're all stalling because we know it's going to happen when we go to the sideline. Yeah. going to have a conniption fit. Yeah. And then I got to go to the, the phones and hear it from upstairs, right? Yes. So instead of 10 to 3, it's 17 nothing. And Coletto's just seething on the sideline, right? Yes. So Billy Hill and Bill Davis walk me off, and they literally box out Coletto because he wants to tear me a new one. <laughs> and, and I'm like, whatever, dude, I get it. Like, I don't feel bad enough already with what just happened. Are you kidding me? Wow. wow. And he just – he undresses me in front of everybody, as he, as he always did. And I was just like, okay, whatever. So I go to, I go to the phones, and I pick the phone up, and I'm, I'm like, just get this over with, right? So I hear, Greg you're going to cost me my job. I'm going to have to sell my house. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at the phone like, did he just say that? <laughs> like, wow. You know, like Herb Street, Herb Street's next to me. I'm like, you will not believe what I just heard. Like, and I just hang up, you know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> like wow. you can't make that up. Wow. Hey, how about we make an adjustment? You know I mean? This is what I was trying to do. Right. Yeah. So yeah, sorry. Wow, I, I, that's just no, that's it's funny now when I say that's it. That's great. We're gonna have another podcast where we're gonna talk about a lot of that stuff, you know? Because hey, who, oh, care, who cares I now, got, right? You know, I mean, this I is, got way more. Wow, I know I, you do. You know, and you know, I kept my mouth shut. But dude, I'm, I'm, I'm like, when people ask me now, I'm like, I'm letting it fly because they need to know the truth about all the stuff. Dude, that spring on. when you decided to play baseball, and you remember the crap you caught for that, you know what I mean? And uh, uh, right, and they told me to my face. It was they were it was, they were good with it. Yeah, they were good with it. But you, you, know, you know that they yeah. they said that to my face. Oh, it's it's great. You go you go do that, Greg. We support you. Yeah, yeah. Right, 100%. and then and then they turned around on me. Yeah. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. but, you know you gotta have get have something to be mad about. You know that's what I always say about, <laughs> about things. Hey yeah. man, this has been a slice, Greg. I appreciate it. By the way, you like you just pointed out, you just touched on. It. You still work with like young quarterbacks and stuff, right? Right. I mean, I, I think one of your students at one point was Brady Quinn, wasn't it? Do I have that right? I mean, but uh, you have that right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Who, who, who's somebody? Somebody should keep an eye on right now. That's kind of that you've kind of tutored. Did you think could be a, a budding uh, star down the road? You know, I got a senior right now that's getting some Division One looks at a small school. It's called Fisher Catholic. His name is Caden Starcher. Um, Caden's probably more of an athlete. I don't see him playing quarterback in college, but he's had a really nice career at a very small school. Yeah. Um, but I got a couple. I got a couple um, eighth and ninth graders that are, I think, have a, a ton of potential. Wow. Um, there's there's a guy um, named Nash Biglin. who's a freshman at Worthington Kilboard. Nash is six three, two oh five. Runs a legit four five. Freshman. Um, wow. Freshman. And he dominated the freshman level. I'm a little, I'm a little surprised they didn't play him up, but I think with the coaching change there, um, they just opted not to do that. That kid, I kept telling him, I said, "You better stop growing. Or your hands get to be on the ground." Like he just, he, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yes. you want to throw it, stop growing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no so, more Gary Hoga booms. Yeah. But no, no. that's great, man. Hey, I'm going to have you on again, Greg, because, you know, like I said, for all kinds of reasons, because I, I know you observe the scene. You know, you've always been that guy. And I remember you being a stand-up guy when 
when I was covering you, and I just I had great relationship with you, and I appreciate that. But I want to give you one last thing. When I remember that one of the things I remember most from that Minnesota comeback was after you threw that touchdown pass that won it. Right. You took right. your helmet off and were just right. staring around at like almost disbelief. Uh, it was that kind of feeling, wasn't it? I mean, do you still get goosebumps a little bit about something just going so right, you know, after it was going so wrong? Yeah, and it's it's weird. Like, I don't know why I took my helmet off. And I can only think, like, you know, it was a thought that, hey, we actually just did this. Like, the job's done. Yeah. You know, as long as the defense doesn't blow it, right, the job's done. We, we really did come back and do this. And I just – I don't know. Maybe I just wanted to kind of take it all in. I, I had that, I had that in me. Like there's sometimes I had thrown enough touchdown passes at that point. Like there were times I knew like when I would throw one just to stop and look around, and take it in. Yeah. And and I did that a couple times. And that that's the only time I took my helmet off, which is just weird. But that's like, you know, how how often does that happen? Right? It never happens. I figured you took it off so you could see better with that because you had that visor on. You know. <laughs> well. <laughs> We can do a whole podcast on I know, that one too. I know. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, you chase. I like the visor. Lynn Swan's like he can't see. He can't see. I'm I'm like, well, yeah. yeah, I threw for three sixty. I think I saw okay. You know, I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> I figure if race car drivers can race at two hundred thirty miles an hour with a visor on. You can too. You know what I mean? Is a well, it goes back to my quarterback coach saying, "Well, you know, you're looking where you're throwing. Yeah, you can't be looking." I'm like, "Well, you kind of got to look where you're throwing." Just saying. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're not. You're uh, not. It's not bumper cars out here. Of course, the I mean, other thing you, is, yeah. these days that'd be a 15 yard penalty for taking your helmet off. So who knows what they would have done at this point? <laughs> but anyway, hey Greg, what a slice, man! I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on my podcast, my man. And like I said, we'll hook up again, ladies and gentlemen. That was Greg Fry, former quarterback at Ohio State, who, as you just listened, led two of the greatest comebacks in Ohio State football history. Of course, a lot of those 88 through 90 teams. Uh, a lot of their stuff is forgotten because those weren't the glory teams. We didn't even get into the fourth and 18 inches against Michigan, which because I was kind of running out of time. I'll we'll, maybe I'll have it back Michigan week, and we'll talk about that call, that option call that came out of came out of the hat, so to speak. He hadn't seen Ohio State run the option all year until that play, uh, and of course Ohio State got Greg Fry got nailed on that play when he kept and in essence kept Ohio State from going to the Rose Bowl that year, from winning the Big Ten outright and going to the Rose Bowl. But that's that's. Ohio State lore. Maybe we'll get to it the week of the Michigan game. But uh, when I come back, I'm going to have my Boston Ward on, and we're going to talk about Ohio State, the offense. I promised you this a week ago. Where does it go from here? What What are the steps it can take in the last four games of the regular season and perhaps beyond? But we'll be right back after this. Hey, college football fans, it's Zach Bourne here. You need to check out BetDSI.com. BetDSI is a great way to use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash. That's right. BetDSI is the top-rated online sports book. They've been paying winners for over 20 years. The reason they've been around that long is because they have got the fastest payouts in the industry. Plus, the user interface and mobile site is the best in the business. Play, win, and get paid. It's that simple. It doesn't matter if it's college football, the NFL, NBA, NHL, UFC, eSports, reality TV, virtually anything. You can bet it. You can bet on it at betdsi.com and get paid right now. There's no better way to add some excitement to games that you already are watching. Check out their live betting where you can bet on games throughout the entire matchup, every play, and every minute until the end. BetDSI has a special deal for Letterman Row fans. Use the promo code ROW100 
to get a 100% bonus match. That's more than double. That's right, more than double your money to start winning today. Once again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code ROW100 and get this limited 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash on the sports you know and love. BetDSI promo code ROW100. Now back to the show. And we're back, as promised, uh, with my good friend, but also my superior, Boston I, Ward. <laughs> I'm not sure that's really accurate. You you get to do whatever you want, and I'm just here to rubber stamp it and turn you loose. Well, I know. But everybody, everybody has a corral. As old saying goes, the biggest, the, the wildest Mustang has a corral he has to go into at night. But, <laughs> you know, I had, had Greg Fry on talking about the Ohio State team, talking about the biggest the biggest turnaround in his, in his mind is the defense, which we touched on right. in detail last week. And I've told you, I think it's the biggest turnaround by any unit in the country compared to what we saw a year ago. And here they are, semi, the semi-anniversary of the Maryland game coming up this week. <laughs> They're playing Maryland. They're a 44-point favorite. Is that legit? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that Vegas took last week at the off date and had a you know, almost all of the top 25. An epiphany? Cruising. I think it sort of was like a recalibration weekend <laughs> yeah. for them to look at what happened now they had a big enough sample size and got into it. And, I mean, look, if Michigan, which I still believe, if they still they still have a bunch of flaws, uh, if they can go on the road and beat this Maryland team by 31 and not really even try that much, or at least it doesn't seem that way down the stretch, 44 is well within uh, reason for an Ohio State team that just had another off day to get healthier. Uh, is absolutely rolling, has had no problem staying focused, has blown out all eight opponents. And the only time they didn't cover this year was in week one against Florida Atlantic where they just rolled out a bunch of true freshmen and, and third-string backups to get through that game in, in the end of, in the second half, and that was still a 20-plus point win. So Yeah, now those guys are playing much better. Yeah. Those guys and you talk about, they rolled out. And that's the difference it, it, when you get these big spreads. Now you have Zach Harrison, who's completely, uh, not completely, but he's growing into that role and and comfortable out there. You've got Josh Proctor, uh, who's got those reps, Garrett Wilson. Uh, I mean, obviously it's the defense primarily that's going to hold it off because Ohio State seems to have no problem scoring with Master Teague in there, yeah. Marcus Crowley, or these other guys. So um, when you get these big spreads, I mean, it's wild to me because uh, if I'm not in Vegas, I don't gamble much. Uh, even though we have some ter- terrific sponsors for our podcast here, uh, I can't imagine like having to sit there and sweat out the f- the third and fourth string guys in a forty point game, you know, hoping to make that money. But I guess that's why they build those casinos. I don't I don't gamble. I'm not knocking anybody who does. I don't gamble because as much as I love to win, I hate even more to lose because <laughs> to me it's like flushing <laughs> flushing money down the toilet. But uh, you're right. I mean, that's the that's why they call it gambling yeah. money, uh, not <laughs> investing. Yeah. But uh, bottom line is, this this off this Ohio State offense is clicking. And back to what you just talked about, the Michigan. I wouldn't use Michigan as a barometer for anything, anything yeah. based on the week to week performance by that team you're this right. year. But you're right. let's get into the Ohio State offense real quick. What we expect. Obviously, they had the week off last week. Who knows what schemes? Uh, Kevin Wilson, Mike Yursich. Ryan Day have come up with mm-hmm. uh, headed into this. We've seen something new every week. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm on record as being quite impressed by the progress, the obvious progress you've seen from Justin Fields. If anything, he has held the ball too long in the pocket on occasion because uh, he wants to be a really great passer. It's paid off for them. And 
like I was talking about with Greg Fry, though, the interesting thing is his presence, without a doubt, has helped rejuvenate the running game, which, you yep. know, holy smokes. Obviously, but that's yep. exactly the way it's been. J.K. Dobbins went to another gear before the break. Mm-hmm. What do you see? Give me a synopsis. Don't give me the Jim Trussell answer. <laughs> give me a short answer. What, what could you see them going to in the last four weeks of this regular season that folks haven't seen before and may not see the next two weeks because, let's face it, well, uh, they're going to be prohibitive favorites this it, week and next week. Here's what I think is interesting about the next two weeks, though, Tim, because you always assume that, that teams want to go out and be vanilla and just survive, the, you know, don't don't get any injuries against Maryland and Rutgers. Or I, I think it's more interesting to just throw a bunch of stuff on film and make teams prepare for everything that could possibly be in your playbook. If you know, I know that there is some element of secrecy that you want to maintain and have them guess, but it's also really hard to prepare for if a team can do anything, which this Ohio State offense can. Well, how do you focus then your defensive game plan to slow them down? So I'm I'm sort of curious to see if Ryan Day. Mike Yersich and Kevin Wilson will dial up the passing attack more uh, on Saturday and then next – maybe not maybe not against Rutgers. We'll see. I mean, that game is just going to – I worry about the – I honestly do. I'm not saying this to be facetious and make jokes at Rutgers' expense, but they do not have it – they could get seriously injured in that game. They are. That's like a high school team playing against the best college football team in the country. So that one, maybe you don't try and get too fancy with anything and you just end that game and run out the clock. But I think – you know, I mentioned the Florida Atlantic game. Justin Fields, that's still his his career high at Ohio State passing yardage total. He hasn't topped, I think it's 238 since week one. Hasn't had to. Yeah, and he hasn't had to. And he, and he might not have to against even Penn State or Michigan. But I think when you get into those, those top-level competition, whether it's the last two weeks of the season, whether it's the Big Ten championship game, whether it could potentially be the playoff against those caliber opponents, Ohio State's going to have to throw the ball more than they have so far. I've got to write a book because that would be part and partial to my book is what I've told you a million times. you got to be able to throw the ball. you not only got to be able to throw the ball, you got to be willing to throw the ball against the better defenses. You know, and I've named all those better defenses, and you're exactly right. I mean, it's almost like they're keeping the Air Force in the hangar a little bit, but they've hit some big passes, yeah. you know, in these games. I mean, it's not like they've – just totally forgotten about the passing game, yet they're, what, sitting like 70 if there's something in the country in passing, and what, number two, I think, in rushing yeah. or three. I didn't check the stats at the beginning of this week because they had the week off, but that people, like the, the turnaround of this team from last year, defensively and then offensively, what they've been able to do offensively running the ball is a flip from last year also. It's, it's like two different teams we've seen from one year to the next. Yeah, and I- I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I don't think that it's it's not an unwillingness to throw the football. Right. Ryan Day is is definitely uh, confident enough in Justin Fields and his arm, and obviously he's got the tools there uh, with that wide receiver unit and even the tight ends, which that's still another thing that I think could be added. You, as you touched on that earlier in the show, Tim, like how can it still get better? Well, there are guys that haven't had a chance to really flash. Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert 
are both talented weapons that you can use in the middle of the field. They've rarely done that. Florida Atlantic game, they thought they were going to be, you know, this yeah, was going to be. They got that week one taste of it, but it hasn't really come back. But, again, that's an example. Uh, and then some of it is can be skewed by situations. I mean, when J.K. Dobbins hits a 60-yard touchdown run, there aren't a lot of other plays that you're going to run on that drive, obviously. Correct. And then you have the rain against Wisconsin. Ohio State managed that game about as well as they could. There were some drops that kept the numbers lower, but – I mean, it's not like Justin Fields was inefficient throwing the football there. And then on top of that, I, you look at that other thing that you mentioned, which is holding on to the football too long and decision-making and Fields trying to scramble and extend plays. That's nitpicking. Yeah, but, but those are three areas where you could see more yardage come in the passing attack. It's not that Justin Fields can't be a passer. He absolutely can. And we've said this probably every single week that we've been there about one gorgeous deep ball that he delivers. Sometimes it's caught, sometimes it's not. But – he can absolutely deliver every throw they need, and when you get to championship season, he's going to be called on to do that more and more. Yeah, you know it's interesting because uh, when you go, you know, football is not war, but football is a lot like battle from the standpoint of strategy, yep. or as Will Ferrell said, strategery. Strategery. And uh, I just added a dollar to my pot there <laughs> for no reason, no good reason, just, except for just, charity. Just generosity. Every dollar that goes to charity is yeah. a good good deal of Christina and Tina, Christina and uh, Ryan Day fund. But I digress. When you have a stable now of J.K. Dobbins, Master Teague III, and Marcus Crowley has really come on. Yes, he has. He's, it'd be interesting to see how much he'd be playing if Master Teague III wasn't there. For so, But when you've got a stable like that, that's something they didn't, you know, they didn't have that really last year from the standpoint of you had Weber and Dobbins, but they – got so far away from running the ball uh, as a really a major part of the offense, it was kind of crazy when you look back on it. Yeah. I, and now you've got three guys, but two guys in particular, that if you pay too much attention to Justin Fields, these, these guys can burn you. I don't think they had a good feel of how to manage everything that was involved in that backfield last year. Yeah. The offensive line was part of it. They, they you know, we had Greg Studrawa coming up and saying, well, they don't really like the you know, RPO blocking. They're, they're confused. They don't. Right. It's not as aggressive. So you had every every part of it was sort of the offense was not dysfunctional. It was still the, one of the best offenses in the country. And Dwayne Haskins went to New York for a good reason because he threw for 50 touchdown passes. It's not like they were flawed. But when it got to be the red zone situation, you just didn't know what you were going to get. And that tells you that they weren't really comfortable enough to be a successful rushing attack. And part of that was because I don't think they – established a true pecking order and identity with Weber and Dobbins. And that hurt the entire offense, and it hurt those two guys both. And that hasn't been the case this year. They they knew that Dobbins was the guy. It helps that you know Weber is pretty comparable in ability to J.K. Dobbins. And so that, I'm sure that was part of the thinking for them. But yeah, this is the way it goes. J.K. Dobbins is the, is the guy. He's going to get 20 carries. Master Teague is right there to finish off the fatigue package, as you call it, to get 10 to 12 carries. And then you have Marcus Crowley, and occasionally still – depending on his health, DeMario McCall, they have a bunch of guys that they can use. But the one that makes the difference, and you alluded to this, was that Justin Fields is a talented and willing runner. Dwayne Haskins was more capable of running than he ever really led on last season. And, I, you know, whatever the reason for that is, I know it was a frustration for Ohio State and that coaching staff, but that hurt them in the red zone. But look what it did. It saved the day when they finally, <clears throat> at Maryland, yeah. <laughs> yeah. him running a, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit, Saved the day. By the way, you know when what he I had call, to do it, he did it. You know what I call the J.K. offense? They just go dob, dob, dobbing along. <laughs> you like it? 
I like the fatigue factor better, but yeah. I, I don't have Well, any. I know, but, I mean, J.K., I mean, what do you, you know, it's like yeah. hard to do something with Dobbins. Uh, but, but you you know, you're exactly right. And then you just see these, yeah, my prediction again for the bold predictions. Did I get that right? Yep. Bold <laughs> predictions at, at the end of last week. I just recycled an oldie but a goodie was Jameson they've was. got they've got weapons that are coming along in the passing game that they really Garrett Wilson has never hasn't really been featured yet. He's had a few big plays. Uh, that guy's going to play probably more as a punt returner too because we've seen he, every time he touches the ball he, something Tim, electric happens. Tim, he needs to be the punt returner. He ought to be on the green. Uh, the green part of like trying to create energy out there, the green plan for the federal government, because he creates energy every time <laughs> he touches the ball. I know that there's like, this has gone back to, to talking to Beanie in August that I've questioned Demario McCall's usage and how he could fit in the offense. Whatever, take all that aside. There's just no way that you can look at what Demario McCall has done in his career at punt returner and what Garrett Wilson is already flashing to do and say that this guy should be the punt returner over the freshman. I know that sometimes you side with the veteran. Sometimes you get enamored by the athletic ability and you want to find a role for that guy. But he's he's shaky fielding punts. He makes questionable decisions back there. He almost cost them in a scoreless game against Wisconsin. We've seen it last year on a kickoff in the game uh, in a rivalry situation that cost them. It could have, could have dramatically changed the game. It just... Well, it I just think hasn't worked. And I Garrett think he's Wilson, trying. But bottom line is sometimes well, a guy comes along that maybe deserves a bigger shot, you know. And uh, Garrett Wilson makes stuff happen. And, of course, the other guy that James, was in my bold prediction. Well, again, and, let him, and let him be the kickoff returner. Jameson I, Williams. I think it's time for that. And, you know, it's not it's not anything personal with DeMario McCall. I just – Garrett Wilson is a special player. If you want someone who's shifty and fast and, and physical, well – You've already got that in Wilson. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no advantage to keeping McCall back there. Now, again, coaches always have the benefit of, of practice reps, the way they're handling their business, all that stuff. I'm not, we don't, we're privy to a fraction of that. Mm-hmm. But when you're evaluating the, the reps that count, there's no question that Garrett Wilson has to be out there. And that also is about to extend to wide receivers as well. And you, it's been a process. They didn't want to throw him out there in the first four weeks. You and I have talked to, to Brian Hartline about that in the process of getting a guy ready right. and the full package. Well, he's been out there in the first quarter of the last couple of games. Right. They are ready for him oh, to he's take in, the next he's step. Oh, he's in the flow he's, now. He's in there. Yeah. And, and as you said, these last four weeks, get ready to see him take off. And the same is true for Williams, but I think especially Garrett Wilson because they just don't make many wide receivers like this kid. Yeah, the word's out on Jameson Williams, though, because obviously he's one member of my bowl prediction. He's going to make a big play in that Northwestern game. He they took, were ready for He runs an out and up, and the guy almost tackles him. So they – Pat Fitzgerald is a big reader of Letterman Rowe. He must so read the bowl predictions yeah. of Letterman Rowe. But you can – I mean, defenses have to respect a man who's that fast. And it's shown already uh, – it was in a lesser game, but shown already the ability to make a play mm-hmm. if he gets the ball in his hands. And I just what, – that's what I'm saying. I'm – you know, we know we we know part and parcel who the regular guys are going to be, but there's a guy that could come along and make a difference. I'm not saying he's going to be a you know the the all-time go-to guy down the stretch, but that's what this offense has going for it. There are things coming online as we speak. Well, if Austin Max hamstring injury lingers, he may not you may not need him against Maryland or Rutgers. They they you want everyone to be pointing towards Penn right. State and Michigan. That's obvious. Ohio, Ryan Day is going to stand up there and say we're not getting ahead of anything. But look, 
if Austin Mack is close and it's a game-time decision, you're not going to play him against Maryland, and you're not going to play him on the road against Rutgers. You want him to be ready for Penn State. But if that happens, this all goes back to what I'm saying, where you start showing more packages. That means Jamison Williams will have more reps. That means Garrett Wilson will have more reps. That's a that's a net positive in the next two weeks for Ohio State where they get a chance to do whatever they want to do. If they want to be vanilla, if they want to keep everything hidden for Penn State and Michigan, they can absolutely do that. If they want to just devote it to getting a bunch of reps for Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams, they can do that too. If they want to play Marcus Crowley exclusively against Rutgers, they can do whatever they want. And I think that's really like the outcomes of these games are decided already. You nothing, don't nothing surprising yeah. is going to happen. So I think that's this is a this is an interesting test, Tim. And I'm sorry to interrupt you at the end there, but how he manages the next two weeks. Maybe somebody will defend me for being get, <laughs> getting interrupted. No, I'm just going. How he manages the next two weeks is really fascinating oh, yeah. to me. Because oh, absolutely. There's not a lot of intrigue in the game, but it's setting up everything that's going to come after. We're going to do what it takes to expedite the win. <laughs> Quick, who's that? Nick Saban. Remember? It's rat poison. Remember a couple of weeks ago yeah. when they played, who yeah. was that? Don't, don't Arkansas. ask. Arkansas. Don't. Arkansas. Uh, we're going to do what it takes to expedite the win. And then he walks off and stares at the guy. Bye-bye. You know? Yeah, you've got your starting quarterback can't play. You've got a backup. Don't ask me about played, a backup And you've got another backup who's the starting quarterback's brother who hasn't played hardly at all. You don't, you, the point was, are you going to try to get him some reps, yep. you know, so he's ready just in case. But I digress. Uh, so the question is, do you keep Jameson on the rocks or do you – you run Jameson straight up. Uh, I think you let him go. I mean, that's who who's going to be able to match up with that speed? I'm laughing at my own joke. There. I, I know. I, yeah. I love it. It's been yeah. in the bold predictions a couple times. Yeah. Just in case anybody's missed it, throw it on the podcast. But I mean, look, you get him on a slant. He's think about the Rondale Moore play against Ohio State last year. Uh, KJ KJ Hamler. Hamler. Like he could. You've got that, that guy. He, yeah, they have that. He he's You've not had a chance guy. to really show that except for Miami of Ohio. He can – you get him in the slot one-on-one, you're not going to stop him. See, this is the way I think. I mean, I know that you have to be able to do A, B, C, and D before you get to be a starting receiver or a receiver. But I'd have a play. I mean, if I was a coach, <laughs> I'd have that secret weapon go in there, catch a slant, you know what I mean? Yep. I mean, I wouldn't be worried. I would use him when it, when it really matters, but I would definitely have him on my plans no matter how well he blocks downfield if you follow my drift. Well, and here's the deal, like – as I keep saying with how you want to use the next two weeks, if you, if Maryland or Rutgers has, you know, their third or fourth corner on Jamison Williams at any point in the game, and boom, you see, it, you see it one time and he's out the gate, well, Penn State has to be aware of that. All you have to do is put him on the field then uh, in late November, and suddenly they, they're aware, here's a play, it's probably going to be a slant, and then you just go the other way. Well, that's what I mean about throwing more stuff on field. But here's the thing. Jamison Williams on the left, Benjamin Victor on the right, split wide – Run them straight up the field. I'm just, you know, spitballing here. Yeah. We need to get a whiteboard back here. Yeah, you got a two deep secondary, okay? Or let's say you got a three deep. I mean, still, you've got that leaves the middle of the field wide open for somebody else. And we've seen KJ Hill, the Work tight there, ends, yep. JK Dobbins on that. My favorite play so far this year, as I told Yursich, I don't know if you brought that play with you or not, but I'm giving you credit for it because that looked like a, a Big 12 play. You know, the J.K. Dobbins looked like he's going to go in the flat and releases over the middle. Yep. Touchdown. Wow. I mean, that's just stuff you haven't seen, and you know there's more coming online as this goes. Real quick before we go because we're running out of time here. Even though my time's unlimited, I mean, I'm wasting people's <laughs> Mine time. Mine isn't. I don't like to waste people's time. Uh, <laughs> there's another dollar to the Christina and uh, Ryan Day fund. I love it. Got to have these lulls. Got in an argument 
argument maybe is not the right word. Heated discussion with a mem- another member of our of the media that covers Ohio State the other day. He says, no way Chase Young can win the Heisman. And I said, you know what? I would have said that three weeks ago. But the way things are shaping up right now, he has a chance to be a very viable candidate. The way I'm looking at it, Joe Burrow wins or loses the Heisman Trophy this weekend against Alabama. Mm-hmm. If he beats Alabama, look out. Tua, I don't think – I know they went through the surgery, probably the same similar surgery that uh, Jonathan Cooper went through I to fix, it was the exact to fix his high ankle yep. sprain. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've seen how – yes, I mean, Nick Saban is talking about what a miracle cure almost it is, and we've seen Jonathan Cooper deal with that. Still – and miss the last game. And miss the last game. Bottom line is, Tua is not going to, I don't think, be the same player he was. He's already missed a game statistically. Jalen Hurts, in my opinion, I don't think there's a lot of sentiment out there to give the Heisman Trophy to a third straight different Oklahoma quarterback. You can, We can say, oh, they're all in the running, but I know how people vote. I voted on the Heisman for like they're 35, a little, they're a 37 years now. Out of sight, out of mind right now. Exactly. This is something new and different. Chase Young, uh, you, know, you know how people like to be progressive and think about, you know, well, it can't just be the quarterback every time. I think everything's setting up for Chase Young to not only be in New York City, but to be nervous on whether he's actually going to win it or not when the envelope, the guy's standing there with the envelope. And what I'm saying, he still has to finish the season. He has the possibility of three marquee games to wind up the season, Penn State, Michigan, and then the Big Ten Championship game if, in fact, they yep. take care of business. Uh, it, I, I think the possibility is very real. It's, it's absolutely legitimate that he could win the Heisman Trophy. And as you mentioned, it hasn't always been this way where sometimes it's lip service like, yeah, it would be cool. It doesn't need to go to quarterbacks and running backs. Yeah, it's because it's kind of cool to talk yeah, about. But yeah. I think it's finally happened, and I think maybe I mentioned this before, but I think voters feel a little bit of remorse that Ndamukong Sue didn't win. Yeah. That he should have, that he was the most dominant force, and they, you know, he came very close. Deserves, deserves a lot of credit for that. Yes. Like when, when voters were trying to talk themselves into Manti Teo, it, it wasn't – you could tell that that was a little bit forced. This is the best player in college football, Chase Young, and everyone knows it. There's not a d- dispute about that. The quarterbacks, you said early on in the season, they're putting up such great numbers because I've been saying that Chase Young should be in the Heisman mix since day one. And that's not to pat my own back on that, but it's just a fact because you can do it for me. It's I'm just patting be- his back for those who don't get just, to watch the video. It's just because when you – it's the same thing with Nick Bosa last year. If everyone is in agreement that this guy is the most dominant force, that you don't know how to block – he wrecks your game plan by himself. That deserves to be credited. And yeah. Chase Young, people are, are coming around to that line of thinking, and it gets mm-hmm. tough for him where it's hard to get sacks. It's hard, even for even for the best player in the country at the position. And he's only going to have a limited amount of time to do it on Saturday and next week against Rutgers. The great thing about college football now is every game's on television. Number two, I think Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt are still talking about Chase Young. They're probably yeah, they're not going to. They're stop. probably going to have breakfast this morning. We, you know, yeah, we got this game coming up. We got Purdue. Who are they doing? Purdue and <laughs> we got they're at Minnesota. No, they're not at Minnesota. No, they're not. They're Purdue and somebody are. I don't remember who they where they are this year. Oh no, I think they might be Minnesota Penn State. Yeah, that's a noon game, right? I think that one's on ABC. Yeah. Oh, it is. Oh, anyway, but the bottom line is, well, the big noon game is here. Are they here? Uh, the the big noon. Yeah, they're, Maryland. They're probably here. Maryland, Ohio State. Yeah, I'm sure they're doing that one. Uh, bottom line is, yeah. they're talking, still talking about them. That's what's going to happen. The build up of the Penn State game and Sean Clifford, their their quarterback. 
Michigan with its uh, uh, still difficulties to protect the quarterback from time well, And to time. that quarterback has a little bit of a problem hanging right. out of the football. Right. That might be but, but, but the bottom line is he's going to get the pub. Yeah. Is he going to deliver the goods? If he delivers the goods, look out, because he affects and alters games. I've we, we started this segment talking about gambling, so I'll finish it that way. If there was somebody that I had more faith in putting my money on to deliver in that circumstance, it's Chase Young. I just everything he does is is a plus. Uh, you heard, field, you heard Greg Fry talking about him. Yeah, I mean the way he stood out in preseason practice when all those ex players got to come and watch. Yeah. I mean, but then he delivers, and, and he will. I think that he'll he'll make he'll handle his business early against Maryland. He might hurt somebody at Rutgers and then be done for the day after a Let me interrupt you. I know people get mad. He's .5 of a sack from tying Vernon Golston for most sacks in an Ohio State season, and he's still got at least five games to go because they're going to play in a bowl game. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, I mean, he could he could challenge the national record. Uh, I believe he's 10.5 away from that right now. He's – yeah. you get to those marks too. If he can do that by the end of the regular season, there's no – there's not going to be any doubt, you know. Just, just hand him the trophy. Um, now, Joe Burrow and, and Chase Young, I think that could be a fun kind of weekend there in New York amazing? City to cover. Isn't that but, amazing. Uh, it, we'll get it. to that later. But it, you know, when you ask me if it's a legitimate case for him to win, it, it 100% is. But you know, it's funny. It's like maybe the Heisman Trophy doesn't isn't won in Columbus, but the winner goes through Columbus. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy. We're talking about Joe Burrow and possibly Chase Young. And Joe Burrow was sitting here two years ago, and one of the great guys you've ever yeah. met, right, with his Delabadova T-shirt. And, yeah, and, he's a uh, character. And he's become just this uh, big-time national star. And, yeah, it's all on the line for him this week. It's going to be interesting to watch that game. But, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back. Uh, Boston Ward and I will be back next week after Ohio State takes on Maryland. Mm. Maryland, which is in the throes of trying to figure out what's gone wrong since the first two games of the season, 44-point underdog. Like you said, like uh, Boston pointed out, the odds makers have kind of caught on that Ohio State <laughs> is sort of blowing up their spreads here. Uh, you know, they were known for a while of not taking care of business in that regard. But uh, we'll see how it goes. 44 points is still a lot of points. That's of six points. and a half touchdowns to beat a fellow collegiate Big Ten team by. We'll see if Ohio State can take care of business. Uh, but the main thing is, the main thing about this is for Ohio State is get the W the surest way or as – Nick Saban said, expedite the victory <laughs> and then keep people healthy, play guys who maybe deserve to play. You're going to be needing down the stretch, young guys mm-hmm. like Jameson Williams. Yep. And uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, sometimes the best laid plans don't go exactly the way you, you think they will. Like I said on Wall to Wall Sports the other night, you know, Ryan Day doesn't have a button on his play, play sheet that he can hit and it's an instant touchdown. <laughs> you still got to go out and make the plays. So we'll be back next week. Talk about whether Ohio State made the plays, whether it's going to be able to make the plays against Mighty Rutgers, by the way, which was part of the first college football game ever played. And ever since then, things have kind of gone downhill for them. (laughs) But uh, we'll be back to talk about that and more things. But thanks for watching, once again, the Tim May Podcast. And like I said, the pot for the Tim May Podcast will be right behind me next week, I promise you. And we'll keep tabs on what I owe the Christina and Ryan Day Fund at the end of the regular season. By the way, that's when it's going to end because in December I'm going to exhale a bunch of us. (laughs) Save them up. Another dollar, ladies and gentlemen, for the Christina and Ryan Day Fund. But until next week, this is Tim May. Thanks for watching. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.